politics is not prize fighting. Politics is not Furpo Dempsey. Just so you know this. Some people who don't know about prize fighting call it prize fighting when they really shouldn't because there is no prize fighting there. There's no guy in the in the locker room peeing blood after a bout and can't recognize his wife and so on and so forth. Politics is still a brutal game, though. And uh, to discuss it, there's not, no one better, I think, than uh, Tom Bevan of Real Clear Politics. There's so much going on today. We have uh, the debates, obviously, and Trump being carted off to some cavity search in, uh, in Georgia. And there's uh, the, the Democrats crowing and, and crying and so happy and overjoyed at uh, the demise of their leader, of the, the Republican leader. I don't know if that's really a smart thing to do because I don't know there is a demise. I think he's coming back, and I think he'll come back with a vengeance now with people supporting him. And, of course, in Chicago, we've got turmoil in Northwestern at Northwestern with the coach there ending up at Loyola Academy to help out. There's all sorts of anger and anxiety. And that's typical football for the, for the North Shore. And where are you as the Democratic National Committee weighs the calculus of installing Michelle Obama as their savior to protect them from Joe Biden's senility? You're on the Chicago way with John Cass, Tom Bevan of Real Clear Politics, and Jeff Carlin of WGN Radio on WGN Plus. So this is a guy who lives high on the hog and he has this Tammany Hall style attitude to power. And um, it is, it's the Chicago way, absolutely. Look, the, the Chicago way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago way. The Chicago way. That's the focus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand with pen and paper in his hand, defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river. Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And oh, as promised, here's Tom Bevan of Real Clear Politics. Well, Tom, we know where you are. You're somewhere in between Evanston and Washington. So I am currently in Evanston. I I got back yesterday from the debate in Milwaukee. Oh, Excellent. How is uh, Milwaukee this time of year? Well, obviously it was hot. It was during yeah. the heat wave. You know, that you can see there's a lot of construction around the Pfizer Forum because they're gearing up for the convention already next mm-hmm. year. And so it's kind of messy at the moment. But uh, Carl a- Cannon, our Washington bureau chief, um, you know, he flew into town. He'd never been to Milwaukee. I picked him up from, from O'Hare and we drove up there together on Wednesday. Oh, God. You two nice. in Milwaukee? Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And uh, he said to me the next day, he said, uh, as we were leaving Milwaukee, he said, you know, this isn't the prettiest city in America. <laughs> <laughs> At least so, you didn't uh, say it's quaint. It's quaint. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The outright offensive. That's well, you, should have, 
should have, he could have told them that there were a bunch of trout streams not too far from Milwaukee where he could. Well, have. that probably you know would have changed his opinion a little bit. So <laughs> he he isn't curious about Bong Recreation Center just outside Milwaukee, which is like he, the, <laughs> the. No, he was curious about the Brewers and whether they were oh, playing, yeah, yeah. whether we could sneak in a game at Brewer Stadium, which I told him was a nice stadium. So he had not been there as well. All right. So what did you see without Trump in the picture? Yeah. What I saw was, um, look, it's it's one of those things, you know, these analyzing debates and all, all of the, you know, incessant punditry about right. you know, winners and losers and who won. And, right. you know, we've got a bunch of that stuff on our site this morning, obviously, because that's what we do. But right. so some people thought DeSantis was terrible. Other people thought he was great. Some people thought Ramaswamy won the debate. Others thought he came off as a, you know, childish, arrogant, you know, smart ass. Um all the bushies thought some so. people, yeah. Like well, that. some people thought Chris Christie did a really nice job, and other people thought that he didn't. So it's just impossible to to sort of figure out exactly uh, how this is going to be interpreted by all of the people who watched it and who they think might have helped themselves or not. You know, I mean, obviously Donald Trump not being there, the question, oh, is this going to hurt him politically? I don't think it will. Obviously, um, did it help anyone on that stage? I don't think so. I mean, I didn't see anything that I thought would change the dynamic of this race in any significant way. No, um, no knockouts. I used the Dempsey mm-hmm. fur, fur, yeah, yeah, purple yeah. art. No, yeah, knockouts. no, no knockouts and, and no standout performances that in my mind are going to change the trajectory of what's going on here. I mean, you know, I asked DeSantis's folks after in the spin room whether they thought that what happened tonight would help them stop the bleeding and or turn things good, around. Good question. Um, yeah. Because obviously, I mean, it's, it's obvious they've been going in the wrong direction. And the guy admitted this is his his new campaign manager, uh, James Upmeyer, said, listen, we've had a, we've you know, it's been a long summer. There's been a lot of <laughs> challenges. We haven't obviously done what we had hoped to do. But obviously, he said we thought we performed well tonight. DeSantis was did a good job. But he, you know, was t- talking and went right back to their organization in Iowa being the biggest and the strongest, and the fact that, you know, DeSantis is going to do the full Grassley and go to all the counties and put in the it's effort. It's all the caucus, caucus all the time, right? Well, I mean, and it, and it should be because yeah. if he doesn't perform well in the first state or two, it's over, and right. and that's I think really the only chance for any of these folks, whether it's DeSantis or anyone else. You know, if they can't upset him, if he wins Iowa, New Hampshire, I mean, it is over. So, you know, they're they're sort of hoping that that what happened tonight will reassure donors and allow them to continue. And then, obviously, the other piece of this is, you know, they're focused on the debate in September at the Reagan Library and the fact that, you know, some of these folks that were on the stage tonight won't be there. They won't meet the threshold. The threshold is going up in terms of, you know, your polling status and your donors and all those things. And... I mean, their hope now is that this this race can consolidate quickly um, and that, you know, a few of these folks drop out and those folks who are obviously supporting someone other than Donald Trump fall into uh, the DeSantis bucket. And that helps him sort of revive his his uh, standing because he has lost a lot of ground uh, over time. So what bucket does Chris Christie fall into? Because he falls into the uh, Donald (laughs) Trump you know, revenge kamikaze tour bucket that is exciting the Lincoln project and Democrats all over the country, (laughs) but not really stirring Republican voters. It is not really. I I find every time he speaks, I think now of either the 
hate to quote myself, but either the old jock who's gone to seed or the, uh, <laughs> or the, uh, I don't know. I'm not sure if I should bleep that or not, John. Pardon? Um, seed, <laughs> seed is, seed is not, uh, I know, I know what you said. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. So I, I read it. These guys are like, like even Vivek, like these guys are Vivek. I, I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. The Vake as the Vake as they say. Cake. The Vake. The Vake. Um, these guys look like they're, they're, they're toiling for some sort of media job, something down their line, something to be in prime time when the actual ballots that matter are being cast. Because I, they were just such like caricatures of what you would think someone like that should be. Uh, it's, just, it's just my read on it. But uh, Tom, do you, do you think anybody coming out of this thing is making inroads with Trump? Because obviously he's the kingmaker here. A lot of people are talking about these guys are all pushing back and forth to be a VP pick. Anybody there stand out? Do you think uh, for in that category? Uh, well, I think Vivek is, yes, is a guy who who you think so? Yeah, could be I sure. I mean, hmm. you know, Pence is not running to be vice president again. No, I don't yeah. think DeSantis is running to be his. You know, Trump's running mate, especially Nick, after the way that they've N- Nikki yeah. Haley's running to be right. George George Bush's yeah, vice Nikki president. Haley's but it's running, a long time I mean, ago. So you know, possibly Tim Scott, possibly. Oh, no. um, but Vivek is a guy who who has, you know, generated some buzz among Trump Trump voters, and and he's done that by you know supporting Trump and being supportive of when some of these other candidates have taken shots at him. And DeSantis's mm-hmm. campaign is effectively, you know, for for the first six or eight weeks was attacking Trump from the right on immigration and transgender stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, crime and you know, all that stuff, which is, which right. is kind of seems kind of silly to me mm-hmm. that that's how you think you're going to win over Trump voters who you need, uh, you know, or nowhere. Trump supporters who you need to, to, to actually have a chance in this race. And right. so I don't know. Uh, so I think the, the vague has done a good job in, in, filling that void and that could potentially lead to you know a cabinet position like a sure. you know Pete Buttigieg or um per- potentially even being on on the ticket team him up with the federalist society to root out uh the, the <laughs> deep state as far as i'm concerned what a monster of the old republic deep state czar or something right right, right exactly yeah sure sure i mean he definitely has and you Charisma. saw this on, yeah, you saw this on stage. I mean, he was yeah. the center of the action sure. for a variety of reasons. People wanted to attack him and try and beat him down, but but he is unafraid to shoot his hand up. He's unafraid to say things that you know, climate change is a hoax, which a it lot is. of Republicans believe, but not a lot of Republicans are willing to say it that way for fear of how they will be you know, portrayed in the media and he just like, doesn't care. Yeah. Right. Um, which again, that resonates with GOP voters. I mean, sure. he talks about this race in terms of, and you heard this on stage the other night, but you know, he talks about this, this election being, he frames it in terms of a revolution yeah, um, and it going being a 1776 moment. And we have to return to our founding principles. Otherwise the country is lost. And that is how a lot of Republicans view right. what's going on right Which now. Is, I mean, they see it as an existential threat, and he's he's giving voice to that. It's interesting you say that too, because I, you know, following his stuff, I just follow uh, a lot of like ter- you know top level stuff. I don't go super deep into a lot of the the stuff they're putting out from their campaigns, but I see the social media and things. 
And it's almost trickled backwards where Vivek was putting out, pushing that a lot harder than like any of Trump's media stuff. And Trump's now starting to move that into his, some of his main, his premium stuff, the stuff he puts out in emails and, and blasts. And I feel like that's a good sign for Vivek, at least, because he sees what he's doing and trying to call this moment as revolutionary and not necessarily being the lead on that. You know, Trump's seeing people who are supporting him saying, well, this is a message we can get behind. And I think it's probably a good sign for him to be somewhere in his cabinet tree. But I think it's interesting you mentioned that because that, that revolutionary thing stuck out to me a couple of days ago, seeing that kind of trickle backwards towards Trump's media machine. Yeah. yeah. No, it's been, um, again, I think both sides, and this has gotten, look, this is something that's been going on in our, our society for some time as our politics has gotten more tribal and nasty and visceral. And each side now frames the other side, not just as a, you know, people that we disagree with politically or have different policy. It's, you know, the other side is an existential threat to my way of life. And, (laughs) and, no, it's true. I, and and wait, that's how Democrats view Republicans. And that's how now Republicans view Democrats. I mean, the, it, this this election, more so than ever before, is being framed as, you know, you hear, you know, Joe Scarborough is like, well, and and his his oh. folks are, you know, if, if Trump wins, the republic is over. Yes. Yeah. The end right. of democracy as we know it. Tear on fire. And and obviously Republicans are saying, look, if Biden gets another term or or the Democrats, they're destroying the country and this is our last chance to save it. And if we don't, it's, you know, we're past the tip, we'll be past the tipping point and we'll never recover. So the stakes, you know, are are pretty high for in terms of the messaging to to yeah. voters out there. And so um and and Vivek has capitalized on that and is sort of turbocharging it. Yeah, I, I happen to have married uh, a person who marched in the no nuke parades and didn't like Reagan years ago, and I married her, and we've been married for thirty seven years now. It's worked out with two kids and a, a pleasant, loving li- life years. and wife. Uh, but I, but I just feel sorry for all the kids that young people today that uh, that cut themselves off from half the population. Like, oh, I can't date her. She's a yeah. A Marxist socialist. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's 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 the kids, but it's the parents as well. I mean, there's yeah. you know they ask this question: Are you would you be okay with your daughter or son dating? Right. You know, and and it's like right. uh, someone who's of the same sex, or you know, uh, it used to be you know like a person of a different race right. or, or whatever, right. and you know, fifty years ago it was race was the the biggest you know sort of taboo. And now it's it's politics. Yeah, um, it's you know, pe- parents don't want their kids dating you know Republicans or Democrats. I mean, it's crazy, it's insane. But but that's that's kind of where we are. And I don't know how that ever how that divide ever gets bridged, and and we sort of come back together. Maybe we support. Uh, maybe the real clear politics should start an agenda like have an agenda where it supports mixed marriages. <laughs> Jeez. mixed like political mixed, marriages yeah, right. right political marriages yeah. right i mean look we uh, do um we do have some stuff around this and i because i think you know part of what we hope to do is foster a dialogue and you know people can come to our site and they can right. read folks from the left and folks from the right and and decide for themselves and and i think it is important um you know for us to yeah, be right. for us to be a remain a civil society where we can um, and you know, I think there's still, there is 
that does still exist in our day-to-day lives, but it's the nonstop barrage of, of cable news and social media that, that constantly promotes division. Um, Interestingly, you know, who, who referenced that on the debate stage and then it was Doug Bergram talked about Mm -hmm. small town values and how, you know, and he, he was asked about that in the spin room by someone and to elaborate on it. And he said, listen, he said, you know, social media and cable news is driving us apart and we can't succumb to this, this, you know, falsehood that, that the 1% of craziness or 2% of craziness that's out there is, is our lives. He said, you know, you know, I live in a small town. I grew up in a small town. He's like, I, I see the people who are, who are, you know, the neighbors who are helping each other, the people who are working on, you know, on the charities and doing the good work and people are still good. And we, you know, of all stripes, of all political affiliations. And so we need to, we need to focus on that. So, and again, I think that's a message that resonates to a certain part of the, the base and well, uh, I should say a certain part of, of Republican voters and certainly moderates and independents and those folks in the middle. But, you know, there's a good part of the GOP base that does not want to compromise, does not want consent and Democrats either. They want to, they want fight like all out war because that's how they view the, the, the landscape right now. I mean, it is, it is hand to hand combat and, you know, to the well, death in the octagon. I'll be, I'll be the first one to greet my brothers across the river. It once uh, Trump wins and gathers a bunch of state prosecutors <laughs> to indict every Democrat that they know <laughs> and nice. gather them together, and then we'll then we'll then I'll, I'll then we'll talk. I, I mean, then we'll talk, right? Listen, that's part. That's 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 great, John, because that's that's exactly part of I think what you know. There's this line of thinking among among Republicans, and I totally understand it because I wasn't you know, like that. You say, listen. The only way that we can avoid going all the way into, you know, banana republic, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, we're is if now. It, well, <laughs> some people think that, but right. is if is if Democrats are, you know, they they are forced to play by their own rules and they suffer pain because of it. You know, again, so start indicting Joe Biden, start indicting Hunter Biden, start indicting, you know, start impeaching Mayorkas. You have to do all of these things. Until Democrats say, okay, enough, and and we can now lay down our arms, you know, it, it becomes mutually assured assured destruction, <laughs> um, and that that's somehow the where this thing will will stop. Right. Um, but right now, Republicans feel like it's you know it's not an even playing field. It's two tiered justice, and uh, you know the the government has been weaponized against its political opponents, and right now that's you know all Republicans. And um, yeah, so, I mean, to your point, John, it's like, well, after Trump went, <laughs> here's the problem though. When Trump wins, <laughs> right. like the left is going to, oh. uh, if Trump wins, the left is going to absolutely lose their minds. I yes. mean, it'll be, you know, that Top little meme time. of the, uh, of the person who's screaming, you know, with the glasses on. I want you to think now I'm a, I'm a, a quadruple bypass diabetic who's been working hard to work myself back into shape, like playing shape, Tom. Yeah. Proud of me. I mean, I, I'm the I've seen pictures, man. Day. You look good. I'm on the machines every day, but on the, the event that Trump wins, I shall have a big mug of whiskey 
Oh, and I will have a, a, a cigar Take after that. after after a, a thick steak with horseradish <laughs> sauce, and then we can prom- we can we can think at the dinner about Michelle Obama rushing in to save the Democrats from themselves. You know, some people hope she does that this year because there are concerns about Biden. Obviously, a lot of concerns. Tom, on the Democratic you, side. You know, I, I I love asking you. What do you think the odds are she's going to run? I love oh it. God, this has been a thread since the last since the first time I think we ever heard anything. You know, I I I wasted so much of my punditry <laughs> capital on Michelle Obama running last time that I just kind of <laughs> keep your part dry. I, I thought not, it was going to happen in 2020 and it didn't. So Tom, um, you're Tom, you're not uh, alone in this. Many I've talked to many people, particularly Democrats who are pros at this and have been around for quite some time. Business people in at the highest reaches of politics, nationally and locally. Nobody discounts Michelle Obama running in to rescue. The, like all they, all she has to do, for real, is say, you know, Joe's tired, yes. and that's all she has to do, and they'll push them both. I'm here out. for you, Joe. You've always been here for us. They'll like, get rid of yeah. her. They'll get rid of Joe and and Kamala in a day. <clears throat> I guess you don't follow me. You, you no, I do. I, I look. She's the only person. I mean, this is the, this is the problem. I you know, I talk to people all the time about this, and there there are people who out there who, you know, smart, savvy political right. people out there who think that even now, as we sit here at the end of August, that there's no way, no way that Donald Trump and Joe Biden are going to be on the ticket next year. And you know, I kind of look at that and. I, I listen to the argument, but I just don't, I don't see it. I don't see, certainly on the Republican side, it's like, you know, maybe the dynamic will change in the next few months and Trump will lose, but he's not going to step aside. I mean, yeah. he's not going to, you know, disappear. He's not going to make some sort of plea deal or any of that stuff. So, but right now he's the heavy, heavy favorite. And then on the Democratic side, as I mentioned, despite the fact that Democrats have concerns about Biden, you know, for him to step aside, it's like, you've got, you know, it presents problems. I mean, Kamala Harris has, if you look nationally, Biden's leading, I think Trump in our RCP average uh, by like half a percentage point or something. Last time I looked, mm-hmm. he's beating, Trump is beating Kamala by like three and a half points. It's like a four point swing. Um, her approval ratings are not great and she's not a very likable individual. And so I think Democrats, and then the idea that somehow that someone like Gavin Newsom or J.B. Pritzker would like parachute in and displace her as the first African-American female vice president for, you know, for a, a white male in, in Pritzker's a rich you know, white male. Yeah. Right. Example, yeah. Like a billionaire uh, seems like the, if that were to somehow happen, the, the amount of hurt feelings and, and bruised egos that be, would, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Democrats can't all over again. I mean, they cannot go into the election next year having, you know, African Americans who are a critical part of their base, particularly in in some of these swing states like, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, around Atlanta or Philadelphia or Detroit. Yeah, I mean, having them upset or depressed or divided, I mean, that's just not acceptable. And so, to your point, John, the only person, the only person who's out there who could accomplish the displacement of of you know Biden and Harris and keep the party united is Michelle Obama. She's the only one. 
I mean, maybe right. Oprah theoretically, but Michelle Obama is <laughs> the only one. Right. And so, you know, I, I understand why that's a an option, but again, unless and until I hear her say something other than what she has said over the past, you know, what, eight years, which is I'm not interested. Yeah. Right. I don't want to do this. Um, Stop asking. Then, then I'm going to just move ahead with my, my thesis, which is it's going to be Biden. It's going to be Trump barring some, some, you know, significant change over the next four months, which right now doesn't seem, you know, likely. And, and that's what it's going to be. And we'll just see where I, I think Democrats would rather dr- sort of try and drag Joe Biden across the finish line oh, yeah. and then have him step down after the election, then try and do something prior to the election, which is going to cause a huge headache uh, and, and really divide the party. That's the calculus happening right now. The DNC. 100%. Yeah. I uh, love we, it. I know got about I'll 10 minutes, John. Do you want to? Well, I, I want to just go to another subject, yeah. if we may. Um, people should know, if you're listening, that Tom Bevan was a pretty damn good quarterback in high school and <laughs> played quarterback uh, at Princeton. Uh, played at Princeton. And I guess you were one of those like quarterbacks converted into defensive backs and Busted up your neck a million times and got concussions and all that, but that's part of the game for the scrappy, short uh, <laughs> cornerback in the in big time football D one. But um, I have to ask you now that the Northwest you're at North uh, at Evans, yeah yeah now Northwestern has been torn into shreds. Yeah, the, it's demise, been canceled. Demise. Uh, I'm sorry. They, they, they've been canceled. There's no season? No, no. I mean the 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 woke canceling. Oh, know. the woke. Yeah, yeah. Of course, but there is some light life for Pat Fitzgerald. He is helping out at a school you know well, Loyola Academy up in the Wilmette. Yeah. What do you think is happening there? How's it going with the kids? And so my, kids? I have a sophomore. Uh, my my son played freshman football last year. He chose not to play this year. Thank God. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, because Pat Fitzgerald's son plays at Loyola. And so it was, a. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's great that he's, he's able to help out and, you know, because Loyola lost their head coach, Polisek, right. um, who was, you know, had been there for a long time and really brought the program to new heights in terms of the number of wins and state championships. And then he retired. And so they, they brought in a, a new guy. Um, to run it. And so it's his first year and obviously, you know, expectations are very high. And so um, the other guy who, who is constantly wandering around up there is Dave Wanstead from the bears. Um, He's got a relation on the team. And so there's an awful lot of football uh, knowledge uh, up there, but listen, I do, you know, I do think um, this thing that happened with Pat Fitzgerald, um, you know, is is this guy? You know, he'd been he'd been the head coach at Northwestern for seventeen years. Right. There really had never been any sort of hint of scandal that he'd done anything inappropriate in any way <clears throat> with players, with recruiting, none of that. So you have these allegations; they get investigated. Um, you know, and he he's comes to an agreement with the the investigator that and the and the president of the university that, hey, you know, 
if you say these things happen, I didn't know about them, but if they happen, then, then that was obviously wrong and I should have known about them. And so I, I will fully sign on to getting a, you know, two, I think it was a two week suspension and that's that. And then we'll move on, um, which seemed in my mind appropriate. Um, and then they turn around and, you know, these <clears throat> student newspaper comes out with allegations, someone and, and the president goes back and says, I, I was too hasty in this and I'm going to review it and then fires him. And now his career is like over, over, like can't get hired anywhere. Right. Um, which seems to me just ridiculously harsh. I mean, again, you know, Typical I take those alleg- journalists, I have to say, so of journalists who were yeah. now, now they're mean, like, they're ready to go work for the Chicago Tribune now, the way they yeah. treat them. <laughs> right. right. Um, I certainly you take those those kinds of allegations seriously. And if he didn't know about it, it's a problem. If he did know about it, it's a problem. I get all that. But it seems to me for a guy who's been there 17 years, who's poured his entire, you know, lifeblood into that school as a player and a coach. And again, no, I mean, if if he had had prior stuff that had happened, okay, you know, I get that as well. That would be that would be cause for for him to have you know harsher punishment in, in, including firing but we haven't had that and so suddenly the guy goes from being a sort of a model you know coach and member of the community and all that to persona non grata you can't ever work here again i mean it's just it's 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 crazy it was it was in my opinion um it was overreach it was the mob going crazy right. and you had all these I mean, the, obviously Northwestern's pretty woke, and you had all these people now, you know, come after the 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 sports programs. They came after. There's this big thing going on with the stadium and building a new stadium, and now that's all you know gotten wrapped up in this, and people are all um, against that. Uh, so, you know, it's been a it's been a pretty traumatic few months up here in Evanston, and and I feel bad for for Pat because uh, he was a I think a pretty good coach and a guy who's well respected in the community, and now, you know, to your point, I guess it's to the benefit of Loyola that he gets to go over there and help out with the, with the team. You always try to pick up a good coach when you can, Tom. I mean, again, the fact that this guy can't probably can't get hired anywhere as a, as a coach. I mean, he has to volunteer and, and help out with his son's team. Well, um, you know, it sucks. It's really a, it's really a shame. And not again, notwithstanding that what went on at Northwestern, which nobody condones, Right. Um, but yeah, it kind of sucks to some smaller extent. I'm in, in sort of the Tom Bevan, uh, mode here where I mention the people that I know are writing. I say, well, do you want to write something about, are you going to write something about Pat Fitzgerald? And I know they're passionate about it. I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting. And, uh, when do you have a Tom Bevan, like a uh, rawhide whip that I could use on some of these people <laughs> to get them going? Yeah. <laughs> Like when? Where's the story, Dan? Where's the story? Yeah, that's right. a good question. Well, Tom, thanks so much for spending yeah, time Tom. with us today, and uh, we hope to uh, talk to you again soon. Tom Bevan from Real Clear Politics, the Real Clear Politics Empire, and I'm leaving you with one thing. And Tom knows this. Pick one story out today on Chicago yeah. on uh, Real Clear Politics from a writer with whom you disagree. Mm-hmm. And read that. I'm going to read the the fellow from the Examiner who thinks Nikki Haley lost or won the debate. I mean, she didn't. My <laughs> God. But I'm going to read it because he's from the Examiner, and I I, I owe him that. Thank you very much, Tom.
Yeah, hey, great to be with you guys. Me. Thanks. Yeah, always great. So for Tom Bevan, co-founder and boss of RealClearPolitics.com, for Jeff Carlin, future physics teacher who got very excited about discussing uh, future teaching, and uh, for me, John Cass, editor-in-chief of my favorite website, JohnCassNews.com. Thanks for joining us on another edition of the Chicago Way Podcast on WGN+.